Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Come on, good morning, good morning for those in the room. Uh, For those watching online, this might be a little bit, can I just say a huge thank you uh, to everyone in the room. If you're in the chat, you can show your appreciation. Uh, Worship team, thank you for leaning into moments uh, prophetically where Holy Spirit wants to do something. We're a church, if you're new to Horizon, we believe that God is alive and moves today and worship changes things. That's why we'll take the time that we did and and you might be wondering, hey, those aren't words on the screen, what's going on? Those are moments where we have incredible worship leaders that are in tune and listening to the Holy Spirit and begin to sing what they believe God wants to do in moments like that. So I want to encourage you, if that's new to you, that's okay, but man, don't miss out on those moments. Press into those. Grace, thank you so much for leading us um, in that time of just prayer and praise. Uh, just, I, I don't know about you, uh, watched online, but I know that, uh, yeah, God just did things in me this morning and just so, so grateful for that. Uh, if I don't know you, my name's Daniel. Uh, I get to be the youth and young adult pastor here at Horizon Church, uh, and I'll be speaking today, uh, ending our series on rebuilding. Uh, we have been in a series, I think it's seven or eight weeks. It's been a lot of fun looking at the book of Nehemiah. And for those right now that need to know why things are the way they are, don't worry. You're going to miss everything I'm saying. If you're wondering about these right here, I'll get there. Uh, but for those who weren't wondering, we'll continue. Uh, Nehemiah, been in a, a series called Rebuilding. And we thought it was kind of fitting that through the year that we've just had, how do we look at rebuilding our lives? And kind of two two realities that we're speaking to. There's the reality of some are are quite literally rebuilding their businesses, their careers, their marriages, their health, things that have actually fallen apart. And they're in the process of rebuilding, going to school, just trying to figure out what life looks like again. So we've been looking at some principles through this book of Nehemiah. and, And for those who aren't, maybe it hasn't really done that. We also understand and believe that there's some things that maybe need to be reordered and rebuilt in all of our lives. Spiritually, uh, how have we been living? Have we been living according to the word of God and what God has called us to for those who claim and, and, and do the, our, our best and desire to follow Jesus? This series has been journeying through the book of Nehemiah uh, and with some background context to Ezra, they're kind of contemporaries. Um, but looking at it as a principal blueprint. Again, we talked a little bit about this, uh, that this, was, this is historical literature, as the Bible calls it. Um, these are things that actually happen. And so what happened is not necessarily promises directly for us, but we can look at principles to what happened and say, hey, I want that for my life. God, how can I do that? And, and learn from that. We've been looking at this. And if you've missed any of this series, I'd really encourage you to go back. Uh, Pastor Shannon last week, uh, two weeks ago, sorry, did an incredible job. Pastor Craig talking about community last week. Uh, I would, and if you have missed them, watch them in order. They kind of build on each other. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun. But today we're going to end. And I know it's only chapter nine. It's 13 chapters. Uh, but we figured, again, if you're a Bible nerd like me, you love the genealogies and you can get in a study and like, oh, that's kind of geek out on that. For the rest of us, we're not going to do that uh, on a Sunday morning. Uh, there's lots of other ways that you can do that. Um, but we're going to kind of finish up where we are in chapter nine and then finish our series as we lead into Easter Sunday next week. And uh, if you missed the pre-show, just a reminder, next week online is at 11 o'clock, half an hour later for Easter Sunday and be watching uh, for just some announcements as to 
we're going to have some in-person options, but it's, it's different. And so we'll be watching for an announcement for that uh, coming up. But the context, chapter 9, chapter 7, we see that the wall is finished. It's part of a big book in Nehemiah's building of the wall. We see in chapter 8, there's the inauguration of the law reinstituted that Ezra and some other people built the temple. Nehemiah builds the wall and then together they kind of institute this. There's this feast, there's this celebrating they were commanded to in that way. So they're celebrating and then nine, chapter 9 kind of takes a bit of a turn. And in chapter 9 verses 2 to 3, it says this. Uh, this is going to be a bit of our base. We're going to launch off from here and we're going to come back to here. Uh, it says those, uh, 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 those, of Israel, uh, those of the Israelites' descent had separated themselves from all the foreigners. Uh, they stood in their place and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were, read the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day, six hours. They stood weeping, mourning, reading the law uh, and spent another quarter in confession and worshiping. Six hour worship service uh, to the Lord their God and it continues. We see they separate themselves. There's mourning. There's confession to God and to people. There's reading of the scripture, confession and worship. Uh, and then the rest of chapter nine is basically a history lesson where they start from the first exile. Again, a couple of weeks ago, we said this is kind of the second uh, exile that we have God rescuing his people from Egypt. In Deuteronomy, great story if you haven't read it. Uh, and so they start there and they work all the way through to where they are now as God bringing them out of captivity uh, in Babylon. And we see a couple of things here. We see the complete love, holiness, justice, power of God. And we see the complete inability of God's people to ever hold up their end of the bargain, right? And in reading this, this gives me a whole lot of hope. Because I see so much myself in the people of Israel. The things that I want to do, I can't do. Paul talks about this later in the New Testament. But it says in this history lesson, uh, one of the quotes in the uh, commentary I was reading says, so this, this history lesson of Ezra 9 and Nehemiah 9, both kind of handle this, is a recital of Israel's history and past failure. It is both humbling and encouraging. Their history gave them no reason to boast, but every reason to trust that we see throughout the history of Israel. And if we're honest, the history of the church in general is a story of people falling short, but God never failing in his promises. God always able to rescue his people. God always doing what he said he would do. See, they get to the end and it's interesting, end of reading this, and they didn't learn apparently from history. They re-up their contract. Like when Verizon, or not Verizon anymore, you know, Telus calls you or Rogers, like, hey, you're at the end of your contract. You want to re-up? And they kind of re-up on their whole covenant contract. Like, hey, we're back in our, our land. God, we've read your commandment. We'll do it. We'll keep it. And at the end in verse eight, it says, because of all of this, we made a firm covenant in writing and sealed it on the document. Clearly they didn't get it. And as we see, Sadly, both Nehemiah and Ezra kind of end a little bit anticlimactically. Despite Ezra and Nehemiah's best effort, they go back to intermarrying. It was a command they weren't supposed to do. And again, uh, a good note to make sure we read the Bible in its original context with it, the intent of the written author. Because we can read that and be like, how terrible. They didn't like foreigners. See, that's why it's this racism. That's not actually what it was about in this context. And we don't also pull it out of context now and apply it to our day and age today, okay? Unless you're of uh, like... Don't have time to get into that, but let's make sure we read the Bible in context and apply it properly. It's really important. 
but they, they do all this intermarrying. They, they take the 10 commandments and they're so trying to make sure they don't do anything. They create another 613 laws by the time Jesus came to try and manipulate and control every area of life because they kept failing. Uh, this leads to the community that was meant to be God's chosen people being the same people in Matthew 23 that Jesus says, you're whitewashed tombs. You look great on the inside, but you're rotten and dead on the inside. You have the form of godliness, but you have zero substance of godliness. We see that Israel just couldn't figure it out. And I think it's really important to wonder why. You're like, well, Daniel, why are we looking at this book? You see, Nehemiah was never meant to be perfection. It was meant to point us to our need for a savior. And that savior being Jesus. Like the whole point of the Old Testament, if you're new to the Bible, let me encourage you, read the entire Bible as one arrow pointing to Jesus. Everything we read, the promises of God fulfilled fully in Jesus. The promises to Israel fulfilled, fulfilled partly to Israel, but fully in Jesus. The whole story, Israel from Exodus to Matthew is continually pointing to the truth that we cannot ever uphold our end of the covenant with God apart from Jesus. You see, the failures of humanity have always pointed to and will continue to underline the fact that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. The Bible's full of it. Humanity, brokenness, messed up, jacked up stuff. But in our life today, we look around at a postmodern thought that would say, if we can just advance in technology and thought and information enough, soon, surely, day by day, we should be getting better to a utopia where everything's great. Just scroll through your Instagram feed, your TikTok, your news feed, whatever it is, and you'll realize that that's just not the case, that humanity today, just like then, is, lacks the ability to ever produce heaven apart from a king, Jesus. And for you and I this morning, I think we need to realize what I really want to help us grasp today. And there's a danger in this. I'll tell you, for those who have followed Jesus uh, for an extended period of time, your danger this morning is that you would have heard these words and you will misunderstand the depth of the meaning. And so I want to encourage you, you think I've heard this, stop and say, but is there a way I've misapplied it or misunderstood it? For those who don't know Jesus this morning listening, your danger is that you might take offense at what I'm about to say and miss the good news behind what I'm about to say for you. So I want to preface it with this, that, hey, there's something that I really believe Holy Spirit wants to do. So let's lean in and, and engage in this conversation. Well, it's a, it's, a bio, a, it's a monologue. You're not talking to me. So I'm not going to say it's a conversation. I'm the only one talking. Um, but as we jump into this, but for you and me this morning, we need to realize that if we are ever have a hope to live the life that pleases God, we cannot do it without, you guessed it, Jesus, Right? Now, before you roll your eyes, be like, well, no, duh, Daniel, thanks for that. Did I really tune in just to hear that? Uh, I believe there's more to it. You see, I haven't yet a follower, of, I haven't yet met a follower of Jesus that would disagree with the statement, we will never be able to follow or obey God and his commandments without Jesus. Everyone gets that. Yet, if I ask another question, the answers get a little bit more dispersed, gets a little more foggy. When I ask why, why? can't we ever do what God's called us to do apart from Jesus? Why do we need Jesus? What and what he did on the cross to be able to be in right relationship with God and walk in obedience 
to God? Why can't we please God and be in relationship with him, let alone fulfill the purpose for which he created us for, according to Ephesians 2.10, apart from Jesus? See, the answer in one word is, is in one word. And we don't really like to talk about this in culture. The reason we can is because of sin. And again, for those who follow Jesus saying, thanks, tips, uh, we're getting there. Trust me. You see, the bottom line today is Jesus reforms what sin has deformed. And I think in this statement is the reason and the understanding why we can't ever follow Jesus on our own and get there. Uh, if I invite my two volunteers to come up in a second here, just, just be next to the stairs. Uh, we'll get these ready here. This will be over there. This will be over there. Joash Apostle, thank you. You see, number one, what, what, what's important when it comes is why we need Jesus and sin. We need to understand what sin did. I believe it did kind of two, generally two things. Plus, you'll have to go over on this side, not that one. Over on this side, there you go. Just hold it there. That sin changed first and foremost our position. And this is what we get. This, and, and I want to be careful. I don't want to say this as in this is wrong. This is very, very true. But I think the problem is we stop at number one. We don't ever make it to number two. What I mean by sin changed our position is what, like, until we fully grasp this. Now, once again, as a follower of Jesus, I've talked, I've never talked with anyone that didn't believe this, but I want to make sure we fully grasp what sin did. And until we fully grasp the full result of sin, we will never be able to experience the full restoration of Jesus. And there's a lot of debate around this, and our culture doesn't like to deal with this idea of sin. We like to think we're good people. We're inherently good that you can't tell me I'm sinful because that has certain implications that takes control out of my hands and puts it in something beyond me. Salvation begins when we receive the work of Jesus on the cross, when he broke the penalty of sin over our lives. This provides for us right relationship. What I mean by that is this. So Joe, uh, Joe Ash, come up. This is Garden of Eden. Uh, if we can get a camera angle here, uh, I should have probably told you guys this. So we're going to, oh, look at that. Okay, Josh, I'll move this way. Stand there. Perfect. So this represents right relationship with Jesus. Having put on that nice sweatshirt. Shout out to Josiah Joel. Thank you for my gift. I hope I washed that before I last wore it. Um, but this idea that this, this white sweater kind of represents our relationship and connection to Jesus. We are in right relationship with Jesus. But in Ephesians, or back to Genesis, when sin came in, it ruined this. And this sinlessness that, that we were originally created with in the Eden, Garden of Eden, was taken from us. So take off the sweater. And then you're going to come over here and you're going to put on this red sweater, right? Because that represents sin, that, that is in us, that is on us. Uh, and this, and the, not only Adam and Eve, when they sin, this happened to them, but we believe now that we are, the Bible teaches that we inherited sin, that we are, uh, we inherited a sinful nature. And so Joash over here, the only problem is God is over here and you can't be with God when you're wearing a red sweater. You only have only white sweaters in, right? Holiness, purity, sin. So it's a red sweater here. And this was the issue. We always tried to do things to get there through in, in, imperfect sacrifice, but this is why we needed Jesus. And then Jesus came, Plasto, come on up. And he lived the sinless life none of us ever could, right? Let's put on the sweater. There we go. And this is it. So Jesus was an example to us 
of what it meant and what it looked like to live the life of Jesus. It was not just his teaching, but it was his example, how he walked, how he lived, how he taught people the patterns of his life, right? And so Jesus, the Bible says, God so loved the world so much that Jesus, he said, listen, I'm going to do an exchange, right? Because your position has been changed. So Jesus decided to take off his righteousness and he says, I will become your sin. So Josh, take off your sweater, right? So his death on the cross says that I am going to lay down and surrender my sinlessness and I'm going to take your sin. So Josh, you can hand me that. The Bible says that Christ became our sin. Josh, or Plasto, put that on and come over here. And in exchange, when we believe Jesus, Joash, you can come over here. We put on the righteousness of God. So now we have right relationship again. Does that make sense? And this is, I get this is an oversimplification, but this is what it did. And then Jesus, as we're going to look at Easter, he just conquered death. So now sin uh, no longer has the final say, which is fantastic. But we now, as the righteousness of Christ, we are in right relationship again with God. The thing that was holding us back from relationship with God has been removed. Does that make sense? Good. Awesome. Thank you, guys. You can walk off stage and just put the sweaters over there. Uh, those aren't gifts. <laughs> You see, but, the, but where I think we can get wrong sometimes is if we think that all that sin did, and if that's new to you, I don't want to rush past this, but I think as followers of Jesus, we kind of understand that. But I think we stop there and that would be an error. You see, I think all, if we think all that sin did was change my position, I will receive Jesus to restore my position and then in that new position, we think, now I have access to all the things I needed that I couldn't do before, right? That we have power, that when we pray, God can do things, can we have a relationship with God, we can hear him speak to us, we get these gifts now, uh, a little bit of extra help. We come to the incorrect conclusion, in my opinion, and I believe scripture says this as well, that we were good people, but we just lacked the power to do what was good. We could do, we we're good people, but we just couldn't fix that sin thing. So God, uh, Jesus paid the penalty of sin, which changed our eternal destination, right? We can now go to heaven and not hell because I wasn't good enough for heaven. Jesus was, so he let me take his goodness. He took my sin. Now I have relationship with God and now I get to go to heaven. See, but we, 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 mis we misunderstand and think we're just really good people, but we just lack the power to do what was good. Now that we've received Jesus, we have the power and the ability to do what we've always intended to do. Wrong. See, and I think this is why, and I would say to you today, if you follow Jesus and, there, and it's been a while since you've been really excited about your relationship with Jesus, that you've been just on fire for God, this might have a little bit to play. I know that this has snuck into my thinking and then my experience as well. We get bored with our walk with Jesus when we live this way. We have very low expectations of what we are to experience or expect to experience here on earth. We think the penalty of sin has been taken care of. Now I just need to be a good moral person and a good Christian until Jesus comes, right? We think what was meant to be the beginning of transformation was the end of transformation and we're saved, we're good. Now we just wait till heaven and you wonder why you're bored with your walk with Jesus and we wonder why we're bored and we don't get it and we, we want to do these things, but it seems like, oh, no one's perfect. Right? Oh, I mean, we'll be perfect in heaven. We're never going to get there. So we just got to, you know, just keep 
asking Jesus to help and do things and we'll just you know, keep, keep, keep on. See, there's very little expectation to experience God's radical transform, transforming love and power today on earth as it is in heaven. I would suggest to you that there's so much more that sin has corrupted and therefore there's so much more that Jesus desires to heal. See, the second thing that sin did is sin also changed my nature. Didn't it just change my position? It changed everything about me. See, we are not mostly good people who only needed to have our eternal penalty of sin removed so that now we could go about doing the good that's always been in our hearts. We are sinful people through and through. Someone needs to hear that today, not in a, in, in a statement of judgment, but of reality that you're not a good person. I'm not a good person. I don't will the best of others. I will the best of myself. I'm selfish. I only see myself. I have a need to be transformed. Just because I said yes to Jesus and I can worship and operate in gifts does not mean the layers of my heart and my soul have been transformed yet by the power of Jesus. You see, sin didn't just corrupt or change my position. It changed every part of my thoughts See, this is where we get it because we think we get saved and it's good and then we continue to think the same way we used to. No, no, your thoughts, how you process information has been corrupted by sin. It's not right and it needs to be changed. Your feelings and your emotions corrupted by sin needs to be addressed by the gospel and the life of Jesus and transformed through his power and the community around us. Will, our choice. We don't want to do the right things. We don't choose the right things. It has been corrupted. That thing that wills us to do things is at ends and an enemy of God apart from the transforming power and restoration of Jesus. Our bodies die. There's one that like, all of us listening right now, you're going to die one day, which is a sign that we've been corrupted by sin. But not only that, how we interact with our physical world, how we treat the physical world, what we expect, our expectations of that have been marred and corrupted by sin. Not only that, but our social context, our personal, how we think about other things and how we relate to people. Do you know that you do not relate to people the way that God intended you to because of sin? And we need to be taught and transformed how to do this differently. This is where offense comes from. Craig talked about it last week. You see that if you think you're a mostly good person and someone offends you, you deserve that you, be, you, you think you deserve to be treated a certain way based on who you are and your merit. But the gospel says you don't deserve anything. You deserve death and hell. But thanks be to God who gave his goodness and his kindness and I've been rejuvenated and I've been reborn and now you can't offend me because I don't think I deserve things because I've already been given everything that Jesus has been given me. I know that's incredibly extreme, but that's the good news of the gospel. So we have this ability to be transformed in your soul. You see, so often we stop at the soul. My soul's been salvation. I get to go to heaven one day. And we don't have an expectation. One, we don't think our thoughts, feelings, emotions, will, choice, body, how we process things needs to be changed. We think it's good. Therefore, we don't expect God to change it. And if anyone in the church tries to help us change that, we get upset. 
because we don't think it needs to be changed. You can't tell me, I, I used to buy into this lie all the time. Well, that's just how I am. That's just who I am. Yeah, I was a sinner. That's who I was. But thanks be God that I didn't have to stay there. Who you are, let that be fluid. Allow what God and who God has called you to be to be the foundation that we begin to build. Because again, the bottom line is Jesus reforms what sin has deformed. See, sin didn't just change our position. It changes our nature. And this is why we see that in Nehemiah and Ezra, there was no ability to fulfill their part of the bargain because they needed Jesus. Because it wasn't just understanding of what they needed to do. They lacked the ability to even want to do those things. See, Jesus doesn't want to just give you the power to do good as you always intended to. He wants to change what you think is good. See, every part of humanity has been and continues to be molded and shaped by sin. And again, I don't say molded as that sin created you. No, God had an original intent and sin has deformed that and begins to put you into its mold of how to operate, how to think, how to walk, how to talk, how to do family, your, your ideologies, your philosophy, everything. Sin is constantly trying to form and conform us. And if we're ever going to do what God has created us to do, we must be transformed, every part of us, into not the image of sin, but into the image of Jesus, where Jesus also desires to form us. The biblical word is spiritual formation into the image and the character of Christ. Let me tell you, this is such good news. For those who are born and you're like, man, I came to God and I keep praying and nothing changes. That's good news. Because if you don't look like Jesus yet, he's not done. And he's, there's an ability. There's still process. You don't have to be stuck in your thought process. You don't have to be stuck in your addiction. You don't have to be stuck in offense. You don't have to be stuck looking at yourself the way that you do. There's transformation available by the work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that my Bible tells me the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. So the hope of glory that we talk about in the Bible is that one day, day by day, I can become more like Christ, that I can experience and expect more of the transformation power that Jesus has to offer. See, some followers of Jesus have been following Jesus for years, but have felt like since the day they got saved, we've been just here to do things that God has called us to, live more lives, and maybe experience some power available to us to perform these tasks, but we've remained largely unchanged. You say, no, 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 it's different. I'm, I, I hang around church people. Yeah, that's part of actually how God forms us and shapes us. It's by people and in community. See, at large, we struggle with the same sins. We still uh, protect and prefer our flesh and our own ideas and our own mentalities. We're selfish by nature. We're easily offended. We're hateful at times in a history uh, in to, to embarrassing degrees. And the list goes on and on and on. Because I think if the enemy can lull us into this mistake and this um, incorrect conclusion that Jesus only wants to change our position, we'll never engage with this process of what the Bible calls sanctification, where God can begin to change every part of me. But Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to force things on you. That's an engage. You have to submit that to him. That's part of our worship. Say, God, would you come? See, our prayers, when we think it's just positional change, 
They might sound like this. Jesus, I'll use this example because it's kind of, it jumps at you and it's a little bit extreme. Jesus, help me to stop looking at pornography. God, would you just help me? God, help me. Lord, I, oh, I did it again. God, I'm sorry. I did. Lord, Lord, help me to not want uh, alcohol. God, help me not to get drunk. Help me not to do this. We just kind of focus on the, the fruit issues of sin that happen. See, rather than praying prayers, say, Jesus, I need you to come transform me from being the type of person that still desires and delights in pornography because that's still who I am. Saved by Jesus, but there's something in me that still wants it, that still desires it. God, would you come and change my desires, my, how I think, how I process my will? God, would you cause me to desire you versus alcohol, desire you versus gossip, desire reconciliation versus division? Because we are not people that, oops, I accidentally sin. When we sin, you are still the type of person who sins. It's not an accident outside of your nature. It's still part of your nature. Somewhere inside your flesh is alive and well. And what Jesus invites us into is to allow the Holy Spirit to reform, to transform, to bring back to the original intent that he created you for so that you no longer desire those things. I know some Christians that they don't believe that that's available to them this side of heaven. Can I tell you it is? We're not going to ever reach perfection, but you don't need to stay 20 years from now still struggling to the same degree in the same way that you used to. There's transformation available to you. There's two realities of what sin did to humanity. I really hope we can grasp these. Number one, sin corrupted humanity through and through. Every part of me has been deformed by sin. We talked about that through and through. Here's the other reality I hope we can grasp this morning. It's Jesus desires and is able to reform every part of me that has been shaped in the image of sin so that I can now be shaped by and into the image of his son. That this is what is available to you and me this morning. I need you to hear this. Because at the end of the day, it's not just that sin corrupted us, but we now live in a world shaped by sin. And so 24-7, we are being conformed and tried to be pressured into the mold of what society says. We got to think away, act a certain way, do certain things. Romans 2, or 12 verses 2 tells us this. It says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by God and his spirit. There's a way that the world operates according to sin, but there's a way that we are called to operate according to the family of God that we are now a part of. And the good news is that not unlike Ezra and Nehemiah, it's not an act of your will to just try harder. Jesus made a way where his spirit can actually come and transform us. It's not about trying harder. It's about receiving more of Jesus in your life and expecting it to change. For those who think, Daniel, that seems a little bit too like a, an oversimplification. Yes, it may be. But here's some steps that I think place you and position you to experience this because it's more than just a prayer. There's active steps to forming this. Again, Romans 2 said, don't be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's a process. How do we renew our mind? Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing, perfect will. We get to choose that. So how does Jesus reform us? 
See, the easy answer is that we simply learn to follow the way of Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's our overarching goal as a follower of Jesus, if you didn't know, is to discover, discern what is the way of Jesus, to invite the Holy Spirit to empower you to live according to that. Through transformers. But I think there's a few principles we see in Nehemiah that we can pull out of that we're going to. And we're not going to get into them. We're going to touch, but this kind of helps point us in the right direction. But number one, inside of all of these, Pastor Craig touched on this last week, is this radical commitment to community. The Bible was not written to individuals. It was written to people groups. The New Testament was written to cities and to churches. And the lie of a postmodern thought and myth would be that you can exist in and of yourself and ever fulfill what God called people to do in and of yourself. Community is not perfect. We will make mistakes. We will hurt you. I will offend you if I haven't already today. I promise next week I will because uh, I'm a fallen person that's in process and transform- transforming in the image of God. But that does not negate God's plans. He called a people group to be the church and our transformation is found inside of this radical commitment to followers of Jesus, committed in mutual love and support in and to each other. So if we can't get there, nothing what I have to say is going to make sense to you, by the way. It's not going to work. Not because I decided that, because Jesus did. And that's how he calls people. But four things we see in that verse two to three in chapter nine. Number one is he separated, they separated themselves. And what does this mean to separate? It simply is, it's a word picture of holiness. It's to be called apart or set apart for a certain purpose. And this morning, if you're watching, Elaine, if I can get you to jump up on the keys. And maybe your life is a mess. Maybe your life isn't. Maybe you're watching and you're like, oh, Daniel, life's pretty good. But what you've been saying, for some reason, it's resonated with me. I got some questions and there's some things I don't know if I agree with, but there's something in me that's nagging. Like, this might be true. I think this might be reality. Or maybe your life's just a mess right now. Can I tell you that the first step where Jesus doesn't say, fix your life, get out of your life and step out of this like he did in Nehemiah, Jesus, in literally what he did as we're gonna celebrate next week in Easter is he came down to earth. He came into your mess. He came into your brokenness and then he led you and, and invites you to be set apart from that. The Bible says that if we believe that Jesus was who he said he was, in the word of God, that he died for your sin. As we saw here, he exchanged our sin, lived perfect life, took our sin so that we could be in right position with God again. And that we believe in that, say, God, I invite you to come and begin this process of reforming and transforming me. The Bible says that's what salvation is. It's in a moment, it's a process, and one day with Jesus in heaven will be complete. And if you're here today, I want, I want to ask you this. Two options. One, reach out to someone who you know follows Jesus and say, hey, I was watching this message and I feel like there's something. Can can you walk me through this? If you don't have anyone too, I'm going to ask this. I'm going to believe and pray that God's going to continue to reveal himself to you this week and next week you got to tune in for Easter because it's the best news you've ever heard and I promise you it can change your life right? Those two steps. If you don't follow Jesus and you're on a journey processing this, Matthew 6, 24 says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For those who follow Jesus this morning, 
If you want to transform, you got to be willing to step out of some things. You got to be willing to step out of some thought processes. First, you got to be willing to admit that you need to. That's why we spent so much time kind of belaboring what sin did. Because if you don't believe the way you think and see the world has been corrupted by sin, you won't ever step out of those thought processes. We need to separate ourselves. We see, and that begins, that enables us in community. We step out of isolation and we gather together as the body of Christ. Number two is a communal commitment to the word of God. It says there that they read for six hours. They read the law, weeping and crying. See, Jesus desires to call us out of our pain to be set apart for relationship with him. And then how we understand what that looks like, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, transformation. So that the servant of God, you and I, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you're wondering why you can't fulfill what you feel God's called you to, maybe God still has some transforming to do so that you're thoroughly equipped. And it's not just to go alone and study the word of God. You can't be fully equipped apart from community because you have blind spots, I have blind spots, and it's a community of people that are committed to reading, studying, and applying the word of God together that helps us shape and transform. The myth that you just, you and Jesus can figure out what needs to change in your life alone is a myth. I'm sorry, it's not true. We don't see it in the word of God. We need each other and we need a radical recommitment back to saying, I know what culture says, I know this, but this is what God is asking me to do in his word. A community of people that's committed to orthodoxy, what we think, and orthopraxy, helping each other live it out. Commitment to the Word of God is not just reposting on your Instagram. It's sitting around once you can and when you can, a dinner room table saying, hey, oh, that message, what do you think about that? Do you see anywhere in my life where that's not happening? Help me, let's read scripture together, let's worship. Acts 2.42 is an example of this. And third, we see confession and repentance. To God, yes, we kind of, I think we understand that. We covered that. We need to confess and repent. That's part of following Jesus. But I love this also to each other. Out loud, we don't like this. How do I know this happened? Because in the, between the chapters of 9 and 13 and the end of Ezra, I can read every sin and who committed it. Because they said it out loud and they recorded it. You see, the, this community was so committed to loving God and helping each other live it out that there was no room for ego or protecting a personal reputation. I would submit that the pain of captivity motivated Israel beyond the sting of embarrassment towards the goal of rebuilding the city and relationship with God. For you and I today, we just think, oh, I, I messed up. I'm like, I, can't, I don't know why I can't stop sinning. I keep repenting, God doesn't do it. Have you told someone you love and trust what you're struggling with? Have you confessed to them? Because if you want to get to the body, said the Bible says, Paul teaches that we're a body. And if you're sinning, you're sinning against the whole body. So the community of God isn't functioning the way God called it to because people are sinning. And so you didn't just sin against God. You actually sinned against brother and sister. And so when I have people that I trust, I go say, hey, I open it up. James 5 verses 16 says this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. And don't blame, we don't cancel culture, we don't do things, what do we do? We pray for each other. So why? So that you'll be healed, so that you'll be free. 
See, the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. We've lost this in the church today. We don't think we need to confess. And I would suggest in a world that's ready to cancel anyone for any mistake, I get how this can be nerve wracking. So you don't do this with anyone with trusted followers of Jesus. But the body of Christ is meant to be a place that is ready to forgive, to bring healing where sin has brought brokenness. What does confession assume? It assumes that I'm not good enough. It assumes that I'm still deformed by sin in areas of my life and I need to be rebuilt. It assumes that I have blind spots and I need help. It assumes that I care more about holiness than self-righteousness. And I understand that I need Jesus and his body. Some of you, I'm gonna say this today. You might not like it. But some of you have been praying and asking God to deal with something and you need to open up your life and confess to someone else and invite them in to help you because you have blind spots that you can't see. And Jesus desires to help transform the way you think by people who have walked with him, who also honor the word of God, that we're committed to following this together. And lastly, worship. Said they worship. This was a radical, radical commitment to read and understand and follow the law. James 1.22 says this. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. And it's really, I'll, I'll, I'll submit this to those who have said what I have said in the last year that, man, I just can't worship online. It's not my thing. In air, worship here had nothing to do with preference, song choice, or feel, had everything to do with commit communal obedience and sacrifice. When it says worship here, it was literally animal sacrifice. And if Paul and Silas, beaten and naked and chained in a prison, according to Acts 19, can find it in them to still worship, surely, I'm speaking to myself, God commit, yeah, convicted me of this so strongly over the last week that I've been saying things I can't know. I'm deciding that I won't. Because what it sounds like at home, difference to a room in here, has nothing to do with God's character, his holiness and his goodness and his, his uh, deservingness of my worship. And see, I believe if we can grasp this idea of worship and live it out, we will begin to see heaven shape our hearts and our communities to the, to the degree in which we've been praying and asking him to do so. How do we go through the transformation of what God's asking us to do? In community one, committed to following the way of Jesus. Those are the umbrellas. Setting apart. Communion, together, confessing our sins, commitment to the word, and in worship. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, as we head into Easter, Lord, let there just be this weight of what sin has done in our lives which can only bring about such greater celebration when we look at to what you did to make a way where there was no way next week. Jesus, I pray that as we walk through this, Lord, you would help us, not just in our position, but God, you would begin to reform and transform our very nature to live and look more like you in a community and a culture that so desperately needs a church that looks more and more like Jesus. We love you worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.